0: Good morning. This is Talking Animals on WMNF. I'm Duncan Strauss and my guest today is Dr. Valerie Tynes, a veterinarian offering two lectures later this week at VMX. considered the world's largest veterinary education conference, drawing veterinarians from across the globe and held June 5th through 9th at the Orange County Convention Center in Orlando, as well as virtually. A key component of VMX offers a number of vets delivering lectures on an array of topics. Dr. Tynes, who is veterinary service specialist at SEVA Animal Health Limited in Kansas, will speak about some of the behavioral changes and memory loss exhibited by senior dogs and some of the measures that can help mitigate or at least slow that decline. Another talk Dr. Tynes is slated to give focuses on the separation anxiety that may be provoked in dogs as their people start resuming a post-pandemic work schedule, returning to the office and other activities that take them away from the house and suggesting treatment plans that help dogs associate positive feelings when home alone. We'll seek a sneak preview of both lectures when I speak with Dr. Valerie Tynes in a few moments here on Talking Animals on WMNF. Meanwhile, later in today's program, I'll speak with Patrick Rose, executive director of the Save the Manatee Club, discussing what appears to be the jarring number of manatee deaths already this year as reported in recent days by CNN and other media outlets. We'll explore causes, implications, and more when I speak with... Patrick Rose later in today's show. Right now, though, let's talk senior dogs and more with Dr. Tynes. With a reminder that I invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813-433-0885. This is Dr. Valerie Tynes on Talking Animals on WMF. Good morning, Dr. Tynes.
1: Good morning.
0: Thanks for joining us on Talking Animals this morning. I appreciate it.
1: Thanks for having me. It's a real pleasure to be here.
0: Oh, great. So you seem to hold a pretty singular position as a veterinarian. I want to discuss what your current job involves day to day. But at first, let, let me ask you maybe if I could just to trace your career path a little bit as a vet before you landed where you are now.
1: You bet. Uh, I'm a a 1987 graduate of Texas A&M University, but uh, I went into private practice with my interest in behavior and an interest in exotic pets also, and stayed in general practice or private practice for about 14 years before deciding that I really wanted to pursue my passion, which was animal behavior. And up until... I guess the early 80s, we didn't even have an animal behavior specialty. It wasn't even uh, there. And so I was very fortunate to be able to go back and do a residency in behavior in this relatively newly recognized specialty and have limited my practice to behavior and welfare since
0: about 2000. So if I follow you, then some years ago you went through a vet school, started like what we might consider more conventional practice—dogs, cats, whatever—and then as this growing interest in animal behavior kind of took hold, did you then you go back and do at least some partial version of vet school when you talk about the residency and behavior?
1: Exactly. It is. It is an additional uh, level of training. About three years. Most residencies are. Wow. And that is what it is. Advanced training in a particular field.
0: And it's just clinical animal behavior. Yeah. And what uh, since that obviously was a pretty strong compulsion, if you said, hey, you know, I've gone through medical school and I've been practicing for a number of years, but now I'm going to go back for three more years of uh, what amounts to, I guess, uh, three more years of vet school. What was it that drew you? What, what was the strong uh, pull of behavior? Why did it fascinate you so much where you thought, hey, I got to go do more. I got to train more so I can kind of veer on to this specialty in particular.
1: Well, ever since I was a child, really, I had a great interest in animal behavior. I realized that that what drew me to animals was this curiosity about why they did what they did. And then in practice, what I found was that animal behavior problems were a really important cause for animals to lose their lives or to lose their homes. Uh, The statistics show us that the majority of animals or at least a very large number of animals that are turned into shelters are relinquished by their owners because of behavior problems. And it it made me sad, really, to have to see animals lose their lives for things that I knew could, in many cases, have been prevented and in even more cases could at least be treated or managed. And so I wanted to be better. I wanted to know more and be better able to help those pet owners with their
0: pets right it sounds like to to kind of stave off those outcomes to whatever extent you could yeah exactly i I got you now i don't want to get too far into a tangent because we have a lot to kind of cover in our time today but i i I think i read or saw somewhere along the line you had developed an interest and and i think an expertise as well in pigs can you just briefly tell me about that just because that seems interesting by itself
1: Well, it it was for me. It was a lot of fun. I actually was in private practice, again, with this interest in behavior and uh, in exotic pets at the time when when the miniature pet pig fad hit this country. And simply because I had an interest, again, I'd always liked pigs. They're fascinating animals from many perspectives, but especially a behavioral perspective, I opened my practice to them. And because many veterinarians wouldn't see them at the time, they didn't feel comfortable with them. I started seeing a lot of them. I was in the Dallas-Fort Worth area at the time. And before long, I had the largest pet pig practice of anybody in the area.
0: Wow. So you became the person, hey, if you got a, a pet pig issue, go see Dr. Tynes.
1: Right. And I like, I called myself the accidental pig vet at the time because it, it just happened and it was a lot of fun. Like I said, pigs are fascinating animals and they do make lovely pets, but they have very unique behavioral needs. So, again, I found myself counseling people about how to prevent behavior problems and give these animals the best possible environment uh, so that they would develop into normal, healthy animals who made good pets instead of animals with problems that didn't make
0: good pets. Well, no, that's great. It sounds like that's, uh, I think we're seeing a little bit of a running theme here about uh, even if when you veered off into pigs, it was like, let's help these animals not meet some sort of unpleasant fate that could be avoided with just a bit more uh, focus or behavioral training. Yeah. So as I mentioned in the introduction, I'm hoping for something of a sneak preview of at least one of the lectures that you're slated to give later this week. And uh, one of those, of course, is about senior dogs. Now, our our family has a senior dog, as I think do many, many other households. And uh, I don't know about others, but I'm sometimes in a bit of denial about this, uh, only because you know, for the last few years, when people would say, "Well, how old is she?" I'd say around ten. But she's been "quote unquote" around ten for a few years now, just because I don't want her to be any older. Right. And, uh, right. I so, understand. Yeah, I'm sure that's not not too uncommon. <laughs> but but how do we? How how do you at least define a senior dog? What what what, what is the criteria that 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 defines that term?
1: Well, that's a- that's a good question because really it varies according to the breed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: For example, large dogs, as we know, they don't live as long. Their average lifespans of many large breeds is, you know, 10 to 14 years. So for those breeds, uh, I might think of, you know, a seven year old dog as approaching its, you know, its senior years. So it's past middle age and, and approaching senior years. Whereas a small dog, uh, these you know, 10, 20 pound or, you know, toy dogs, they can live 15 to 18 years. So I might not think of them as a senior dog until they're 10 or 12. Mm-hmm. So so it depends on the dog you have.
0: Yeah. And, and are there other, other traits or factors that go into that besides large dog, small dog? I mean, um, you said... Well, oh, go ahead. Sorry.
1: Exactly. Well, you're right because just like humans, the longer we live, right, the longer your, your pets live, the older they get, the more susceptible they become to a variety of diseases and, and problems that are associated with aging, right? So it might be heart disease or kidney disease. Uh, but they also become less able to tolerate change. And the brain, as we age, is also undergoing changes such as, you know, decreased oxygen, increased buildup of these things called free radicals, uh, and even protein deposits in the brain that have been found to be consistent with those seen in humans with Alzheimer's. Hmm. So changes in the brain can happen, and of course, that leads to changes in behavior as well.
0: Yeah. And so I I guess one thing before we go kind of further into that direction, um, I'm guessing even regardless breed, size, et cetera, that like some humans, some dogs probably just tend to be really healthy and and sort of, you know, what we would say about a human maybe is young for their age. And do we see that a fair amount in in dogs? I mean, just to to sort of throw off whatever calculus there may be about a senior dog or about where there may start to be concerns about health issues or brain issues that you just described. Um,
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. I mean, dogs, they're individuals just like we are, and some are going to age better than others. Uh, for some, the normal aging process is not as debilitating, and others will actually begin to have this, what we call, you know, pathological, uh, aging that is, again, equivalent to Alzheimer's in humans. So there's a lot of difference. And I think the most important thing people want to keep in mind is that because dogs do age faster than we do, when they start to reach their senior years, the most effective, helpful thing that people can do for their pets is to have them seen by their veterinarian on a regular basis, probably instead of once a year, more like twice a year, because many of these conditions if caught early. They, you can mitigate them to some degree. You can slow their process. You can help the animal live a higher quality of life for a longer period of time instead of what happens, of course, if we wait until a disease process of any type, it doesn't matter which we're talking about, uh, once that disease process has really, really developed or progressed, it gets harder to intervene in a way that that does anything more than just give them time, right? And we all know we, we want to give them quality life, not just more
0: live. Yeah. Okay, I want to get into that and recognizing some things uh, if, if they do develop even between those two exams, but I want to fill folks in who might have just tuned in. This is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. If you did just tune in, my guest is Dr. Valerie Tynes, a veterinarian, offering two lectures later this week at VMX, the giant veterinary education conference held in Orlando, and uh, virtually at this point as well, June 5th through 9th. The VMX website, if you want to find out more, is navc.com slash vmx. That's navc.com slash vmx. So we're fortunate enough to have, you know, be being provided a little bit of a sneak preview of her lecture uh, about senior dogs, and if we have time, hopefully we'll get into her other lecture, which I think is also really important and timely for people who are sort of thinking the pandemic uh, restrictions are lifting, and people are starting to go back to work and how that affects their dogs but but we'll come back to that assuming we do have time but Meanwhile, if you would like to ask Dr. Tyne's a question about senior dogs or anything kind of related, or offer a comment, please call 813-239-9663, email DJ at WMNF.org, or text 813-433-0885. So one element of sort of lecture number one this coming week, more broadly than senior dogs, is about memory issues. And uh, although this show is called Talking Animals, I rarely encounter an animal that talks. So if a dog can't articulate... That she is having memory lapses. How do we how do we recognize that most readily?
1: Probably the signs that people are going to see will be uh, changes in their ability to, for example, go outside to eliminate. Mm. So if they may forget uh, when you put them outside, they act like sometimes they've forgotten what they're there for. They come back inside and then they eliminate. Mm. So house soiling is one of the the features that probably most represent that failing memory.
0: Yeah. And
1: the other things that are consistent with cognitive decline in the senior dog are those things that people may have a hard time putting their finger on. They may not necessarily be associated with memory loss, but with the ability to interact normally or they be, these dogs may act disoriented and that sort of thing. We... Diet, we recommend diagnosing or working towards the diagnosis of cognitive decline with this acronym called DISHA, where D stands for disorientation. I stands for interaction, so changes in social interaction. i uh, I'm sorry, S stands for, um, sorry, I'm, I'm blanking out, of course, now that I'm put on the spot. Uh, House soiling is the H. Okay. A is the anxiety or activity decreases. So those that summarizes what we're, we're talking about. Yeah. Uh, are changes in this animal's ability to function normally in the family. And many times when people start seeing these changes, they think that it's just old age. And they will say, oh, he's just old. And they don't um, realize that it actually can be signs of a decline that, again, we, we can do things to help slow uh, or mitigate.
0: So, Dr. Tynes, that acronym, DISA, I guess is... Um, so, DISA. Okay, DISA, yeah. Um, are we,
1: S is for sleep cycles.
0: <laughs> oh, okay. All right, I knew <laughs> so I was missing one.
1: sleep-wake cycles changing. You know, the dog that sleeps all the time, and again, people will often say, oh, he's, he's just old, but those changes can represent cognitive decline.
0: Yeah. So when we do uh, apply that acronym, are we saying that we need to see all of them and we need to see two or three of them before we start to say, hey, this seems to indeed suggest a cognitive decline. If we haven't already alerted the vet about this, we really should do so. How do we actually employ that acronym?
1: Right. That's a great question because many of those signs and symptoms can also often be associated with certain disease processes that are common to the aging dog. So, for example, if a dog is starting to have kidney problems or it develops diabetes, you may see house soiling. Uh, if it develops an endocrine problem like hypothyroidism, they might uh, their sleep wake cycle may appear to change and they will sleep more often. So. The first thing people should do, really, if they see any of these signs, is take their pet to the veterinarian and let them screen them for some of these common diseases uh, and these other features that sometimes, you know, pet owners will overlook.
0: So I guess that's to winnow down what is going on. Exactly. Is it indeed what, what we thought about the coloring things, or is there actually something medical that right. needs to be attended to? Yeah,
1: exactly. And because cognitive decline has been something that's shown to progress slowly with time, what the studies show is that, let's just say dogs over 10, uh, between 10 and 12, uh, a certain percentage of them will have two of these signs. But then if you follow them up a year or two later, you will find that they've added more signs. So it you do sort of count the number of, of these signs under Disha that they have. And that kind of helps you evaluate how severe is this? Is it mild, moderate, or is it very severe? Because they have every one of these signs.
0: Right. So it sounds like an evolution that you're really uh, almost using a scorecard to uh, assess. Yeah. So let's say that we've taken our dog that has at least one, maybe two of those signs. We've ruled out with through the vet that it's a medical issue that might suggest the same kind of thing. So we have determined that there's some sort of memory issues, cognitive decline, what steps can we take then to help the dog and maybe as as part of that stave off, further decline, where we might have more third sign, let's say, from the Disha acronym?
1: Well, there are a couple of things that have been shown in studies to be effective. And the first one, of course, is, is what we call environmental enrichment. But it really is the equivalent of stimulating the dog's mind. So the use it or lose it concept that applies to us uh, as we age is the same for dogs. So if you want to help slow this progress, you certainly want to keep the dog's mind stimulated. And that means being sure that they get um, an appropriate amount of exercise for them, physical exercise. You can do this with positive reinforcement training. So if you've never trained your dog, you can certainly engage in Uh, positive reinforcement training to do just very basic things like touch a a target or something like that. Mm -hmm. Keep that mind stimulated. And and the other thing we encourage is the feeding of dogs in food puzzles or food dispensing toys as opposed to feeding them in bowls Hmm. so that they have to to work to get their food out a little bit. And those are the, the main tips I recommend as far as mental enrichment. And the other tool that we found to be useful is some degree of nutritional support for the brain. So, again, just like in humans, there are certain molecules that we found are lower in the declining brain and higher in the healthier brain. And several of these things have been shown to help human memory when when we give them to, to people. So there are supplements that you can give your dog to help increase um, blood, you know, try to increase blood flow to the brain and slow the buildup of these toxic free radicals. And uh, uh, they, these supplements include things like the omega 3 fatty acids, a uh, molecule called that some people refer to as FAM E, F adenylmethionine. Uh, it is something that many people may have even seen in their pharmacy in the, the supplement section. Mm-hmm. And there are supplements made especially for dogs and even diet, especially for the aging dogs that um, supplements, you supplements know, that, that have added levels of these
0: particular molecule. So when you say diet for aging dogs, is there a particular diet that seems to be geared for this? Or you're saying whatever their diet is, you want to be sure to be adding some of these supplements that you've just described? Both. Okay. So
1: there is a diet diet made by Hill Science Diet that's called BD, so brain diet.
0: Oh, wow. And this okay.
1: is a diet that has been developed with um, a variety of added ingredients such as the omega-3 fatty acids and, and antioxidants, and ha- this particular diet has been shown in studies to help improve uh, these associated with brain aging.
0: Now Dr. Tynes I guess that would to me raise an immediate question is there either a downside to the Hills BD or some other factor because otherwise if you had an aging dog and you were starting to see these signs or just didn't want to see these signs unless the cost was prohibited or something why wouldn't someone just say well let's put our dog on the BD? Right
1: well there's probably, it's probably not the best diet for a young, uh, young growing dog, right? Yeah. Because the protein and fat levels will be different. But probably once your dog reaches middle age, uh, it's unlikely that there's a downside. Hills makes a variety of different prescription diets. And some are more appropriate than others. If the dog had, for example, cardiac disease or kidney disease, then people would want to consult with their veterinarian to determine which was the best diet for that dog. So it might be that what's in the BD might not be ideal if the dog had um, another disease process.
0: I yeah, so sort of like a- which prescription diet is... Best and and more to the point, not working against the best interests of that dog, to, depending exactly. on what their medical story might be. Yeah, I got gotcha. you. Again, and there this,
1: there is a supplement available called Senalife that.
0: What's that? Uh, Sorry, what's it called again? It's,
1: it's called Senalife. So S E N I L I F E. Okay. And it contains a lot of these ingredients we've talked about, and it has also been shown in studies to help decrease some of the signs associated with brain aging. And so there's an option for people if they can't give their dog uh, a particular diet for whatever reason, if, if they really like the diet they're feeding, it's just right for the dog. Uh, some dogs have GI problems that um, make them more sensitive to diet changes, and there is always supplementation, so that's not a wrong way to go.
0: Okay, again, this is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest is Dr. Valerie Tynes, veterinarian slated to deliver uh, two lectures later this week at VMX, the huge veterinary education conference held in Orlando and uh, also available virtually uh, this year as well. So, as we're noting, one of our lectures deals with senior dogs, changes that can occur with their memory and behavior, and how us humans can help with that. So, we do invite you to join the conversation by calling 813 239 9663, emailing dj at wmnf.org, or texting 813 433 0885. So, I guess because of the acronym, I'm just wondering if more broadly than memory difficulties, are what we're talking about also effective for what certain kinds of behavioral changes that we would see, or, or do sometimes those, depending on what they are, call for a more specific kind of intervention?
1: Right. For example, one of the things that we also see in aging dogs. Uh, is an increased incidence of things that cause them pain or discomfort. And I would suggest that overlooked or inadequately treated pain is a very, very common cause for behavioral changes in dogs. So, again, you might have a dog that suddenly begins house-soiling, uh, and it could be just because it hurts too much to go down the stairs into the backyard. It, it had done that for years, and it was not a problem, but now um, it hurts too much, so they avoid doing that. Yeah. So people need to also be aware that, that behavioral changes can just represent that the dog is uncomfortable, and we may need to make... Uh, you you know, certain changes to the environment to help this aging dog. I often suggest to people that you need to almost treat your your senior dog like you would a puppy. Maybe you have to go back to confining them to a smaller area when you can't supervise them. Uh, maybe you need to go back to going outside with them every time that you let them out and watching them to be sure that they eliminate. Maybe we have to add ramps. So that they can get up and down stairs um, because now the stairs are a problem. Maybe they need to go out more often because they have not only that failing memory, but also certain medical conditions that lead them to need to urinate more often, mm-hmm. than people, for example. And they just need certain um, modifications to how we treat them to help them be able to do the right thing.